Don't you feel that way sometimes? Sometimes don't, especially parents, you see your kids going through stuff and you just get all fired up at them and you just want to go just knock them for a loop and tell them to quit doing that stuff, just destroying them. You know? I mean, shouldn't we get that way? Shouldn't we get where we're just mad at the devil? Shouldn't we get where we're just willing to fight for what God has for us? I mean, shouldn't we, should we not be that way? I mean, should we not, when the enemy comes and oppresses, to stand up in his face? You know, I mean, I think we should. I really think we should. And I think God wants us to. I think God wants us to just cut away the flesh that's on us. You know, the stuff that gets on us. And, you know, we want a revival. You want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It starts with you. It starts with the individual. Because that's, it's an outpouring of somebody who's got, you know, God going in their life and they've released God, they believe God for the impossible. It's not something else. It's not coming from the outside. It's coming from the inside. And if you ask the Lord to come in your life, He's in your life. He's in there. Jesus is in there. Amen? Well, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Huh? Yeah, children can go. Let them go, Lord. Be blessed. Who's doing that today? Amber and Mr. Andrew Stein. Yeah, give him a big hand. Okay. Lord, ask you to help me speak this this morning. Just communicate your heart, Lord. Uh, turn to Psalm 1. That's what we're going to do. We're going to read Psalm 1, first of all, half of it. Everybody knows Psalm 1. This is a good one to memorize, a, a psalm to memorize and meditate on. This is, this is, one, this is the way that, think about it, This is the way the book of Psalms opens up. This is the one they wanted it to open on. And I think it ends on praise. So it's pretty powerful. It says, Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Let's say his delight is in the Bible. Okay? And in his Bible, the Lord's Bible, he meditates daily, day and night. Amen. That's good, that's good isn't it? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, he shall prosper. Isn't that good? Well, praise the Lord. I've been talking to you guys for, about money for three weeks. This is the fourth week. Okay? I have done above and beyond what I ever dreamed I would do, talking about money. And some, I've had many different comments some liking it and some not liking it. For those who haven't liked it, I'm not sorry you don't like it. I wish you did, really, because it's an important topic in the Bible. Uh, and I believe God has a plan for His people financially. And that's what we're going after. We're not going after getting better, bigger and better offense. That's not the goal, although that should be an outcome of what I've been teaching. It really should be an outcome. Let's just get real. It should be an outcome. But that is not why we're doing it. We're doing it because we want to build our life on what the Scripture says. That's what we want to do. Because 
just like the World Trade Centers, they, those buildings, did y'all know they were designed to collapse like that? The engineers, when they designed they didn't want them falling over like that because they would have tore up a bunch of stuff. They designed those buildings if some catastrophic thing happened, which it did happen, that they would just do, 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 you know, and just collapse in on themselves. The engineers are smart sometimes. <laughs> and they did a good job on that. And that's how they collapsed. And that's how the economy could, can and will one day collapse, I believe. The world economy will collapse. And you know, I told you about the devil's plan. It's the mark of the beast to get you where he's got you, where he can control you. And if, if you can be free economically, you're really a free person, I believe. Where when you make a decision, if God calls you to do something, it's your first issue is not the money. Okay? That's not a question. You know, your first question is, is God called me to do it? I'm going to do this even when I don't have the money. You know, if God's called me to do it, the money's going to be there to do it. You see what I'm saying? If God's called you to go to the mission field, money is not the prime issue. The prime issue is the calling and your response. And that's really why, how we've got to get in, in our hearts is that, you know, is that money is not an issue, that we're free economically. And I don't know many people like that. Most people are not free economically. But God wants to set us free. And that's really why I've been doing all this. Is because I believe the Lord, you know, wants to give His people a window of opportunity to establish themselves in the Bible and what the Bible says. Amen? So if you have a bad attitude this morning, if you have a bad attitude, I don't want to hear another word about tithing. I've heard all, this is one. Why tithe? I don't know why I need to be hearing this stuff. That's bad. That's, that's wrong thinking. Okay? That's way wrong thinking. Then somebody said, well, it doesn't apply to me because I'm a teenager. I'm thinking, <laughs> boy, big time applies to you. I don't mean... Have you, not, have you noticed how teenagers handle money? I mean, they will spend every dime you got and not even think of them and wonder why you want to tell them you can't have any more and get all mad at you. I mean, mine do. So it really applies. Maybe this message is for all the teenagers. Okay, I know that word is offensive to some people, teenager. Let's say young people. Okay? If, if you're a young person this morning, and you can jump in that if you're 40, you know, that's why that's a good word, young person. You can just jump in. Uh, if, you know, you might want to, you might need God to speak to you about how to handle money. I'm one of those young people that needed some instruction from the Lord about money. So, but I'm going to end. This is the last one I'm going to do. I do have some stuff about the spirit of poverty that the Lord's been showing me. And unfortunately, He's been showing me how I'm affected by that spirit. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'll talk about that later. That's could have nothing to do with money, spirit of poverty. But I want, to, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 8. And I want to get, 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 8, and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in the New Testament are the most complete teachings on money there is in the New Testament, period. I mean, this is what, if you want to look at this New Testament given, Forgetting tithing and not forgetting because last week, if you were here, you know I believe in tithing. And I, can, I feel like I proved that tithing is, is in the Bible in the Old Testament and New Testament. I feel like I conclusively proved that. Okay, and I will take on any challengers to that. Okay, that's the way I feel. I'll take on anybody on that. Not me, the Bible. Not my opinion. Okay, not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. That's why I can take on anybody. Hey, I just say, well, this is what the Bible says. You've got an argument, argument with the Bible. You don't have to argue with me. But I want to tell you something about New Testament giving. 
New Testament giving, forget percentages. Forget 10%. It's 100%. It's all. That's what it is. So anybody who doesn't like the the tithing, I mean, you should be saying, no, let's stick with tithing. Let's just pretend it's old and we'll stick with old because it was just 10%. Because we don't want to talk about this 100% deal that it talks about in here. Because God don't, He wants all of it. He wants all of you. He wants everything. He's after everything. And if you walk with the Lord long enough, you're going to find His hand in every area of your life getting stuff. Now, that's the truth. But I wanted to give you, i got like eight principles, and there's probably about 88 principles in these in here, but I'm not smart enough. I'm going to give you eight principles from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, okay, about New Testament giving. Okie dokie. Y'all with me? Let me read just a little bit, starting in verse 1, just to sort of give the, the background. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of administering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Principle number one, the only given that's acceptable to God is grace-motivated giving. If you study this one chapter, grace, the word grace is used seven times. Seven times. God doesn't care about any other kind of giving. He wants giving that's inspired and motivated by His grace and His grace only. Now, if you look down in uh, verse, it says that in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. In other words, they were receiving an offering for the church at Jerusalem, he's talking to the Corinthian church, not the Macedonians, not the Philippians over there, but he was saying there was a grace of God given to these people where they actually begged him to give. Give that grace to us, Lord, that we'd have that kind of heart. That's grace. Now, here's the way you get into this grace of God on giving thing. You've got to believe that everything that you have belongs to God. When I was a young Christian, I first got saved. Immediately, God came into my life after he gave me a little space there and started asking for things from me. You know, your girlfriend, i got to have her. You know, and I was really a dumb guy. I was thinking, Lord, you don't need no girlfriend. Why do you want to get my girlfriend? <laughs> you know, the apartment, you're gone. Where am I going, Lord? Going to your sister's house. My sister don't have a one-bedroom apartment. Her husband sleeps in that room. I don't think they're going to want me in there with them. There's a couch down there, Okay. It went one thing right after the other where I felt like God was getting stuff from me. And it was frustrating me. But I really, I came to, to, to this revelation. I came to this revelation apart from the Scripture. I came to this revelation this. If God's taking something from me, that means He's got something better for me. A whole much better. And then I found it, actually found that in the Bible. It says this. I'm just going to read it to you for the sake of time. It's in Mark 10. The disciples were complaining about the same thing. You know, we've given up our homes, we've given up family, we've given up this, we've given up that. You know, and what's in this deal for us? And this is what Jesus said. He said, I, Surely I say to you, there's no one who has left house 
or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and the age to come eternal life. So I came up with this theology and I found it in the Bible. So the, one of the very first things that God asked me to give up was a girlfriend that I had. And I didn't want to give her up. But I did give her up. And I believed, I came to the belief that God was going to give me something better. Okay? And I'm here to testify to you this morning <laughs> that God gave me something better. And I just shudder to think, shudder to think that I would have tried to hang on to something that God wanted because He had something more. You see, the Lord, it says there, let's read verse uh, 8. Paul said, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Now, that's the Lord's heart, that you may be rich. He wants you to be rich. And when God asks you to, to release your money, to release a girlfriend, to release anything, He has so much more. You see, if we can see that our money, that there's an endless source, an endless source from God, and when He comes to us and says, Hey, you know that guy, that missionary guy over there? I need you to give him a hundred bucks. I only got a hundred and five dollars. Well, you got five dollars for gas. Give that man that hundred dollars. There is millions of dollars that God can release to you. If I would have held on to that girl, I would have been the most miserable man today that you could imagine. I probably would be divorced, actually. Okay? And I would have never known what I could have, I was going to miss out on with my life. And the same goes with, with finances. As we give our finances to God, by grace, knowing that there's a storehouse in heaven. There's a storehouse that God can release to you. You hear what I'm saying? That's grace-motivated giving. It's having a revelation that God has so much more for you than what you can make at your job. You know? I mean, he, can make, he makes Bill Gates look like a pauper. It's really the truth. Number, point number two. Let's read verse three. It says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. In other words, God wants us to give with much generosity. He wants us to be generous. That's New Testament given. It's generosity. Verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound, see that you abound in this grace also. In other words, if you become offended and you're saying, why are they teaching on money in the church? Yet you can hear a message on love and not be offended by it. You can hear a message on faith and not be offended by it. You can hear a message on being diligent and not, hear, not be offended by it. You see what I'm saying? Paul was saying you need to abound in this just like you abound in those things. Think about it for a minute. He was saying abound in your giving like, like you abound in your faith. Doesn't everybody here want to abound in faith? Doesn't everybody here want to abound in love? Doesn't everybody want to abound in diligence towards God? Well, Paul the Apostle was saying to these people, you need to also abound in giving just like those things. That's a powerful statement. That is a powerful statement. He puts giving right in a category of pretty powerful things. You hear me? We need to abound in it. 
He really does. Number three. Let's read verse four. And it goes on and says, well, let me read three with four again. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely living, freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of, of the ministering to the saints. We've got to view giving as a privilege and not as a have-to. See, that's how they were. They saw it as a privilege to be able to give. And that's, remember, the first message I had, I called people, are you wounded about giving in the church? Remember that? Have you been wounded? And if you've been wounded, you need to come out here and get healed. Because the truth is this. People who are wounded do not see giving as a privilege. They see it as a have-to. They see it as legalism. They see it as a law. They don't see it like the Macedonians. They were begging to give. They thought it was a privilege to be able to give. And I guarantee you, 80% of you do not see it as a privilege. 80% of you, well, this is what Christians are supposed to do, and if we don't, you know, things are going to be bad, and if we don't, God's going to condemn our finances, and all of those lies that have been planted in your heart over the years. You know, if you don't give, God's going to curse you, and if you don't tithe, this is going to happen to you. All that garbage that the devil has thrown out there. People have twisted the Scriptures unknowingly to tell you that stuff. Not true. So here you, everybody's wounded and beat up. But what winds up happening in the long haul, you quit giving. Or you give all your life and you're in such crummy bondage over it. You know, instead of being free in the Lord and saying, man, this is a great thing to do. Because you see God move in your life. You see God do His part. Because I'm here to tell you, man, God's going to do His part. Because it ain't no good to have a message that says this is what we need to do and if that's all there is to it. If God ain't in this deal, we ain't in it. You know what I'm saying? Now, this is the truth. This is the way I look at things. Now, Lord, if you ain't in this, this deal about giving, I'm, I'm getting out of it. If you ain't in this deal about love, I'm out of it. You know, Paul made that statement. He said, man, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead and we believe that, we're of all people most foolish. In other words, he's saying, I'm not buying into a one-sided gospel. I'm not buying into it. And we don't need to buy into a one-sided giving scheme. But you really, we need to have our attitude changed about giving. Y'all with me? All right, number four, verse five. It says, Not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. Okay. That's a good scripture, isn't it? Are y'all with me? Y'all happy? <laughs> Doug's happy. That's good. We need to seek God for a giving plan. Okay? We need to seek God's will for a giving plan. In other words, what Paul was saying to these people, because these people sought the Lord first, okay? Out of giving themselves to God, out of presenting themselves to God, God's purposes, purposes flowed out of their life. In other words, if you want to know what God's will is for anything, don't go looking for His will first. Go looking for God. Give yourself to Him. And out of that, God begins to speak to you. Isn't that what Romans 12, 1 and 2? Therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, I beseech you to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices unto the Lord, which is our reasonable spiritual service, that we may prove or we may know His good and well-pleasing and perfect will. In other words, he was saying, as we give ourselves to God, God reveals His plan, His purposes to us, His will to us. And what we need to do is we don't need to be haphazard givers. We really need to seek the mind of the Lord. We need to first give ourselves to God where God owns everything. All our money belongs to Him. 
Okay, and then we say, okay, God, you own me. Every dime I got, everything I have is yours. Now, what's the plan for giving this money? What's the plan for this money? It's practical. Listen to this. This is some practical. Do not base your giving on when it's convenient or on emotions. Okay? Don't do that. Don't base it on when it's convenient or on your emotions because somebody can read your emotions up and get your money from you. I'll show you some pictures of some starving kids. And who's not, who doesn't want to help starving kids? I don't, there's not a soul in here in this room wouldn't give probably half their money to help some starving kids if they really believe that was the right thing to do. You know? Everybody would want to help starving kids. But see, that's not the way God... He doesn't want us to operate on emotions or having your arms uh, twisted. But He wants us to give in a systematic way. There's a plan that He has. I want you to hold your place there and turn back one, ver- ver- one book to 1 Corinthians 16. I want to read one verse in 1 Corinthians 16. And Paul was giving the Corinthians some instructions about uh, this very thing. It's 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2 about how to handle it. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, he was going to take up this money for the, for the church at Jerusalem, and he was telling the Corinthians before he got there, as I have given orders, and he was ordering them boys, he wasn't just asking them. So, you know, we got to get, we might be in trouble if he came. Old Paul, the apostle, come here and start giving us orders. I'm going to know how we'd act. We'd probably storm out the door mad at Paul the Apostle. <laughs> That'd be bad for us, wouldn't it? It'd be real bad. But I am giving orders to the church of Galatians, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, and that was Sunday, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. In other words, he was saying, when I get there, I don't want to have to deal with this offering. That's what he was saying. I, ain't, I don't want to mess with like, other things I want to do. I don't want to talk about offerings. But I want you to, on the first day of the week, there was a plan God, give you, God gave, and you follow this plan. On the first day of the week, you lay up this money. You, when they pass the plate or you go by the box or however they did it back then, you put it in there. That was the plan. That's the plan he was asking. Here's the deal. In every part of your life, you need to have a plan. You hear what I'm saying? You need to have a... I have a, this plan that I made a long time ago when I first got saved. This is the plan. I'm going to church. That was a plan for my life. In other words, when I get up on Sunday morning, that is not when I decide if I'm going to church or not. I made that decision a long time ago. A way long time ago. Because if every Sunday morning when I got up and I was going to make that decision, I'd probably show up to church once every two months. Because most of the time when I get up in the morning, I'm not feeling like going anywhere except back to sleep. You hear what I'm saying to you? You don't decide that you're going to give when you're doing your budget. That's the stupidest time in the world. You go ahead. That decision was made a long time ago. It's just going at the top I'm going to give. You know? You don't decide when you wake up in the morning that you're going to get up and spend time with God that morning. You decide with your life right now. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be with God every day. Some way I'm going to spend time in the Scripture. Some way I'm going to pray. Some way I'm going to fellowship with God. That's a plan. And you need to make those decisions way before the time comes to do them. Because if the time comes to do them, more than likely you're not going to do them. Because the time may not come. You got too busy. Man, we went camping this week. You ever try to spend time alone with the Lord camping? It's not easy. But you know what? You can do it. You just be creative. Well, i got to go walk and gather some firewood. Go find your log to set on. Be creative. But you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan with your giving. 
You know, you need to have a plan to tithe. You need to have a a plan to make offerings. You need to have an unknown. Well, I know for sure, I know for sure that Byron is going to ask for some money above and beyond. So I'm going to just put that in my budget. This is Byron's request that he's going to make every month. And if he don't make it, well, I can do something else. I'll give it to some, some other situation. Put it in your plan it that way. That way you'll do it. Otherwise, you won't do it. Plan on praying. Make it a part of your life. Decide today, if you don't spend time daily with the Lord, decide today, that is going to be a daily part of my life for the rest of my life. And figure out how to work it out. And, and do the same thing with giving. You hear me? Y'all like that? Go back to where you was at. And say it, Corinthians 8. And I want to read verse 10 and four, through 14. And this is number five, principle number five. And it's, this is what this principle is. Given is to be in, in proportion to your income. Given is to be in proportion to your income. And now, this is verse 10, 2 Corinthians 8. Now, this, in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that you others be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance may also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. It is written, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. In other words, um, God does not ask for give, equal giving dollar-wise. He does not ask for equal giving dollar-wise. Uh, take, for instance, this is a, an example. Grace Wicker has graduated from college. She has a job, and she's making $100,000 a year. Okay? God is going to expect Grace Wicker to give more dollar-wise than, than I'm giving. Okay? That's what he's going to expect. But he's, you know, so in other words, Grace could give $20,000 a year of that away to the Lord. Hint, hint. Okay? And I could give 5000 away to the Lord, but in God's eyes, because of our income difference, I've given as much as she's given. You hear what I'm saying? That is really important, that we give in proportion to what we have, not what we don't have. But, you see, if you are a young person and you're making $10 a month, your $2, hint, hint, <laughs> just kidding, your $2 that you give will be as much as her $20,000 that she gives in God's eyes. And you see, that's why it's important for all of us. Because if you're given a nickel, and that is in proportion to your income, that is a lot in God's eye, and that's who it really matters to the most. That, you know, it's God, it's not us. It's not the bookkeeper. It's God. Now, I want to read a scripture. Hold your finger there. I just want to read this. Everybody knows this, but this is great. Because they have a couple of points. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Mark 12. Mark 12. This is something Jesus, this is where this comes from. You know, Paul got it from Jesus. He didn't think it up himself. It's great. You don't have to think any of this stuff up yourself. You know, it's all in the Bible. 
You know, that's what that's great about being a Bible, you know, preaching and stuff. You you know, it's already there. You just need to just you know find it, find it, and say it. Matthew twelve or Mark twelve verse forty one says, "Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury." Now there's Jesus sitting at the treasury. Okay, this is important. And I want you to get this. Jesus was sitting at the treasury, and Saul, Jesus saw. Everybody say Jesus saw. In other words, Jesus was looking. He was taking a look at what people were given. I think one, I like one translation that says Jesus took note. And I'm going to tell you something today. Like it or lump it, Jesus takes, takes note of what you give. He's watching. He's watching what you give. He's watching how much you give. See, he ain't dumb. You know, he knows. He knows stuff. He saw how much, saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. There you go. Grace was putting in $20,000. Okay. Then one poor widow came. There's her mama. Years ago, you know, the way down, about 40 years now, I'm gone. She's a poor widow. <laughs> came in and threw two mites, which was basically two copper coins, which made a quadrum, which was a Roman coin. So basically she put in two pennies, pretty much. I don't know what a quadrant was, two penny piece. And so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. See that? Two cents, two little pennies, was more than all the rich people put in there. Because she put everything she had. So I'm going to tell you something. What you put means something to God. What you give God means something. If it's a little bit, God's saying it's a lot to me. If you don't have a job and you're on unemployment and you're giving out that unemployment, God's saying that's a lot to me. Don't be discouraged. I like it when you do that. I like it as much as that old rich guy throwing in, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. I want to encourage you with that this morning. Don't think your little bit doesn't count. It counts a lot. It counts a lot with the person that really needs to count with, and that's the Lord. You know, you hear what I'm saying to you? And that's why you can't honor rich people over people who don't have anything. Because the Lord will slap you into next week over that one. Okay, go back to uh, 2 Corinthians. We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8. We're going to jump over to 9 now. If you, you know, read on down verse 16 and verse 8 to the end, that really talks about how to how to handle the money that's given. You know, if you really want to see the principles, you know,